the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. So Purim is this week. Yes, Purim. I'm terrible at making hamantaschen. <laughs> Have you? Just, I used to make the craziest flavor hamantaschen. Like what? Pizza hamantaschen? No, no, not crazy like that. No, you know, no. like there's a store, there's an ice cream store in Brooklyn that has crazy ice cream flavors, like ketchup and chulant flavor. Ooh, what kind yeah. of crazy ice cream? That must be a I don't ice cream store it. for I'm Orthodox just Jews. Letting you know exactly. Ketchup and chulant. There's a market. So I, I would make, I don't even remember, like, like apple pie hamantaschen and things like that. <laughs> apple pie hamantaschen are really good. Yeah. Do you serve those fresh out of the oven? They can be served fresh out of the oven. With like a dollop of ice cream? Yeah, but that, those were those are days of past. I don't have time for that anymore. Purim is, oh is very God. labor intensive for me. How are you still single? Apple pie hamantaschen? Because <laughs> I don't want with you, lady. <laughs> Maybe I should. <laughs> I don't think that'll translate on Bumble. It will weed out though. <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. I like apple I like apple pie, but what's a hamantaschen? Hamantaschen? Yeah. Um, yeah, so Perm's on its way with all of that it encompasses. Yeah. What's, and... uh, what's uh, awesome for you about Perm? Is there anything good about Perm for you? I really dislike Perm. It's my, it's, really up there with my least favorite Jewish holidays. I, there was, I just put a lot of pressure on myself through all the years because it's such, it's a holiday that invites creativity and I would go with it. I created handmade, intensely creative costumes for my kids. And it, then it became a standard and an expectation. And there was all the Mishloch note to make for people and so much work that I put on myself. It actually was a point of contention in our marriage because I would work so hard yeah. uh, and then be exhausted and frustrated and tired. And um, Holidays are really tough. I remember Sukkot's one of my favorite holidays. I like Purim. I like the celebration, right? I've been to good Purim parties. It's fun. But like in terms of the holidays that I really enjoy, Sukkot's one of them. And I'm not trying to get off topic, but I remember that type of exhaustion that you're talking about. It takes a lot to set up a sukkah and to decorate it and you know, to really be committed to the full seven-day festival is a lot. And there were times I felt alone in that. I, Tamara and I got into fights about it because I was like, I was the only one doing it or it felt like I was the only one doing it. And she came around there, were, you know, to be complete, she helped out. There were, and there was one time my back was out. She put the entire sukkah up. Um, but it was, uh, um, I mean, it, it's tough taking all that on yourself just in terms of on top of like regular parental stuff. It's crazy. And right. Purim's got all these elements like you're talking about with the hamantash and the mishloch manod and the costumes. The costumes yeah. and the going around to the neighborhood and then the, the meal. There's all there's all these parts to it. And it's all and, in one day. And the Megillah, you got to go to right. shul. So you can so, hear the Megillah. Did you go to yeah. one of those communities where they would do like a speed reading of the Megillah? Did I go? I mean, there's many. I've been many years on this planet. Sure. I've heard many a Megillah reading. Uh, the whole Megillah? The whole Megillah. I've actually been part of a woman's reading and I Ooh. know chapter Ooh. four. I can ah. read chapter four of the Megillah. 
You know, as I think about it, Vashti, I put that on my profile. <laughs> you should say, I'm your Vashti, right? I'm not going to parade around naked for you, but I will make you apple pie humintoshin. That will definitely attract a very specific. Right. No walking naked, just lots of cooking. <laughs> um, I, I've definitely done the speed reading. Right. Uh, get it over with. Yeah. And the drinking. Let's talk about the drinking. Let's do that. Let's talk about the drinking. What do you like about the drinking? Do you enjoy a good drink? Well, I think that the drinking on Perm is, you know, there's a- It's there's, ridiculous. There's this understanding that we are encouraged to get drunk completely until you don't know, until you've lost reason and logic. And, and don't I think know this the is difference, a, yeah. Don't know, and I think this is a really good jumping start to a conversation about limits and using- um, Boundaries. Using boundaries and using substances can how do how to use substances, especially in emotional situations post divorce. Perms is really good um, launching point for this kind of discussion. That's exactly right, especially with the prevalence of marijuana out there these days and how easily accessible it is in certain states and how easy it would be to simply to turn to that. I know that's been my case from time to time, smoking weed or enjoying marijuana to just kind of escape, get a little levity or high and um, it can turn into a real burden. There's no question about it. And it's expensive too, when you really add it all up. It can turn into a good burden, but it could also be a, a, a good escape. Well, I'm glad that you're bringing that up because there's actually a midrash in the Jewish tradition that talks about two rabbis who test this theory out, right? You're supposed to get so drunk that you don't know the difference between Haman and Mordechai, uh, good and bad. And so uh, they get drunk and accidentally what happens is one of them kills the other one. Like he picks out a sword and just slays him right through. And then uh, he does some praying and the guy revives. And the next day, the guy, who, um, the guy who killed him at first says, you know what, let's party all over again. And the guy who died said, and then came back to life said, you know what, miracles don't happen twice. What a strange story. But it's great from the Jewish tradition. What we're really supposed to do is if you read the law codes throughout history, it's not that you're supposed to get so drunk that you can't necessarily know the difference between Haman and Mordechai. It's that you get so drunk that you fall asleep and take a nap. And in that way, right, you don't know the difference between Haman and Mordechai. You're kind of like distant from that world. But either way, this kind Should of- Should we just be taking an Ambien? <laughs> well, there's a good point there. With the times? Right. And the there less, there's less side effects there's a lot less side effects. But I, but here's what's interesting about it is that like the idea of bringing Haman and Mordecai into it present these ideas of absolutes, of polarities, right? And I wonder if that's the reason why you end up going so drunk is because it's unreasonable to live in those absolutes and those polarities. Nobody is 100% good like Mordecai. Nobody is 100% bad like Haman. And of course there are in the world, but for the majority of people, right? We all live in the middle. We're all normal people. I wonder if that's part of the stress relief of Purim is knowing that like, you don't need to have these idealized sense of yourself um, or even of the world in order to enjoy it in some way. But a, that's a strange way to acknowledge it by getting pissed drunk. Is, so I'm acknowledging moderation I completely by overindulging. Agree. I completely agree with you. So what is the appropriate way then, if you think, right? If you're going through something, if you're going through something that resembles death, right? That brings grief with it. That is one of the major transitions in your life and destroys all the types of conceptions you had about reality. And again, I'm saying this with the caveat that marriage isn't for everyone. 
But the point is to know that we live in a society that celebrates marriage, that puts it at the center of what it means to kind of be established. And so, you know, how do you deal with that in appropriate ways, right, that also maintain your sense of dignity and integrity in life through what you're going through? I think it's a really good question. And I know for me personally, I, I never was a drinker. I didn't grow up drinking. I went to a religious high school. It just wasn't, it wasn't the escape that we used. Then I got married very young and I was pregnant and nursing for most of that experience. And then by the time I was divorced in my early thirties, I just didn't have a history or, or an experience of turning to alcohol uh, to support. Yeah. But I remember my brother telling me, whatever you do, do not start drinking now. Yeah. <laughs> that was not the time to start with this, with this vice. And it was, it was good. It was funny. That needs to be done in college. Right. Like you missed your chance with this one. <laughs> but it was the acknowledgement of don't start with something like this when you're at your bottom, right? Like yeah. just know yourself. And that's why I think it's interesting like, that, the, that, the, that the tradition is around drink until you don't know. And I think it actually starts with knowing. Like you have to start with knowing, knowing where you're at, knowing what your needs are, knowing what you want. And then, then, you, then maybe you can get to a point of not knowing. But I think maybe it's that reflection of to get to where you don't know, you have to be starting to where you know. So knowing your boundaries and, and just being a little bit self-aware when you use substances. I don't, like I, I'm not encouraging people to never use substances. They have their time and their place. But knowing um, what the long-term vision and goal is. It's funny that you bring this up because I just found Judah the other day, my eldest, he's 10 years old. He was watching The Simpsons and there was an episode where Homer and Marge decide to sell marijuana and, and Homer goes kind of the, not the illegal route, but the less savory route. Marge goes into that, you know, highfalutin medicinal field. But nonetheless, right, there's, there's you know, images of people smoking marijuana and getting high. And so I had to have this whole conversation with Judah about, right, we have a zero tolerance policy in the house and when that happens, right? I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna uh, demonize anyone who smokes marijuana, right? Or enjoys marijuana, right? It's legal. So, you know, and it, it, it could be a tool, a helpful tool at some point, right? So I'm not trying to give him this perspective that it's entirely bad, but I'm also trying to help him understand that there's a time and place for it. And more importantly, he needs to be safe about it. His body needs to be ready for that. And it's exactly like what you're saying in terms of being in the right place for it, right? Even as an adult, if you're in this emotionally low place, that can be really dangerous because they're depressants, right? They're not uppers, particularly when we're talking about marijuana and alcohol, right? They're downers in some way. I mean, marijuana can lift you, but um, they don't necessarily help in all those ways. They don't help to kind of lift you out of the situation that you're in and can only potentially really perpetuate it. Yeah, very good point. If you, know, if you are in such a low place, if it is so difficult, right? And particularly in moments of isolation like this, whether it's pandemic or divorce, but the double whammy of both, I think, right? How do you? What's the best thing to do? I mean, if you're in this place of real, um, I don't know, depression, right? That could be a good word just to use. But if you're in that place, what do you do? The pandemic makes things really difficult because pre-pandemic, there was a lot more things that were accessible. And one of the best counterbalances for feeling depression is, is seeking community, seeking um, connection. And that's just 
been made so much harder with the pandemic because those avenues for distraction have been shut down a lot. And I think there has to be some level of experimentation. What works for you? Uh, music, movement. Um, there's this concept called opposite action. So don't cater to the feeling, the, the depressive feeling, but do something opposite to counteract that, that, that feeling. So if you're just feeling like curling up in, under your covers and with a bottle of wine, and you don't think that that might be the best long-term um, solution, what can you do opposite to that feeling that might uh, make you feel a little happier? Can you watch a video about cute cats? Can you listen <laughs> to music, um, call a friend? Just things that, that create a feeling of happiness rather a feeling of escape. But isn't there some, you know, okay, so that's an interesting boundary that you're bringing up, right? That you can allow for some form of levity within a difficult and saddening scenario. And you should, in fact, uh, but you shouldn't let it go too far. I can appreciate that. What about, because I always had this thought and I still have it from time to time, but that, you know, this is this new stage in my life. I have a new opportunity to look at my life right? Why don't I, um, I, I've been thinking a lot about an ayahuasca ceremony and going through something like that. And I, I, I want, I brought it up with my therapist. She didn't think it was the greatest idea, right? Cause she's my therapist. She knows me a little bit better than other people. She, she says, I don't think that's a really good idea for you at this stage in your life. And I thought, but this is exactly the stage in my life that I should be doing something like that. And I, 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 I'm still struggling with that. I think that would be really interesting to go through a ceremony like that, to come out with a different perspective. Lord knows I love a good purge, right? I always feel like a champion after I rise from the porcelain God, but uh, I don't know. I did ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. uh, I was very much on that journey after my divorce and just looking for answers. And there's this tantalizing hope that to go through such an intense experience that just things will be made clear, right? It's so intense that I'll get clarity or blockages will be removed. I wasn't ready for it. There really? are, yeah, there's a oh. lot of information out there about the progression to such an intense experience. Mm -hmm. I wasn't ready in that moment. So mm -hmm. there should be weeks of preparation in terms of what That's you're what eating, everyone says. your body, yeah. uh, meditation, those kinds of things. So I wasn't ready then. And I also wasn't ready. There's, there's a progression of things that can happen. There are experiences that you can do, um, other drugs that, that build up to that experience. And um, this is turning into a whole other podcast now. Let's whole go. Other podcast. Come on, so Breaking I Bad. <laughs> I don't think that I, and then there's many other podcasts out there that talk about what a better progression can be for something like that, for an experience like that. I think it's just knowing yourself, knowing where you are and not jumping the gun to an experience like that and doing the due diligence of the step-by-step -step process because I didn't get the answers I was looking for. And I, I don't think I did it properly. I mean, it was an experience that's for sure. See, that's what I think you're bringing up. That's what I think is the most deceiving part about this whole kind of thing in divorce is that like, yeah, there is this liberating moment of it. I think if you think carefully about it, there's this liberating moment and that feels really good. And you're like open to the whole world and free. How then do you like take in all that freedom and a sense of responsibility, right? That maintains your boundaries, right? Because you could want to take it all in. There could be like years of things that you wanted to do and felt like you couldn't because you were in this relationship, right? And that relationship determined who you were supposed to be. And now you're the sole person who gets to determine what that is. 
And, and so part of me feels like a kid in the candy shop. You want to go out there and you just want to bring it all in. I certainly think I did that with the dating scene to first start. And, and that's probably typical for a lot of people just with sex drives out there. But, you know, Bumble and all the other ones are really easy. They turn it into a speed dating sort of thing and you just swipe with your thumb, you know, and before you know it, you're chatting with like 20, 30 different people at once um, and it's overwhelming, right? It's like going to the supermarket and seeing 30 different types of ketchup and going, I don't know which one I want to put on my hot dog. Hamburger. I'm switching it to hamburger because the innuendo. But my point is, <laughs> my point is, how do you deal with all that freedom? How did you deal with all that freedom? I didn't deal with it well. <laughs> I don't think I did. I did, you know, I, I, it's not like I went on drunk bitches or anything like that. I mean, the ayahuasca ceremony is certainly still in my head. It hasn't been anything that I've done. Uh, and I think I just fell heavily into the dating scene. I was like, all right, there are lots of women out there. I've got a lot to offer. Let's go. Thumbs can do the work. I think it's such a good relevant discussion given what we're talking about, about Purim, about extremes. Yeah. And I think it might just be an important part of the process. I did the same thing afterwards. You know, I, mm. I went on 800 first dates there. I had no interest in a second date. <laughs> I just wanted to go out, get dressed up, flirt and feel desired and then go home and just do that process all over again the next night. Right. And, and that is coming off of a 10 year marriage where I felt restricted. And so going to the opposite extreme helped find the balance eventually. I think it's okay. We have these two different identities, not only Mordechai and Haman, these kind of absolutely different identities, but we also have Ahasuerus and Esther. Ahasuerus is the foolish king who's oblivious to what's going on and needs people to really make him aware. And then you have Esther who walks this highly conscientious role, right? And she's trying to get the job done and trying to save her people and also not get herself killed in the process. So how do you, you know, if you're entering into the freedom, what's this, you know, like how do you, how do you enjoy that freedom with the type of obliviousness that Ahasuerus brings, but then how do you also, I guess, survive it with the type of conscientiousness that Esther brings? But I don't think the story of Perm glorifies the being unaware. No, it doesn't, it punishes it. Right, or at least it makes him look like the fool that he is, right? That's pretty obvious. Right, which is so beautiful. That That is all about being aware, that this journey is about increasing self-awareness. That's what, that's that's what we're point. in it for. And, and if you go down this path and you, you, you get divorced and you start on this journey and you don't take this opportunity to be self-aware, what patterns are you gonna end up repeating? What stories are you gonna keep living in? But shouldn't you also have an element of obliviousness to it? I mean, like I go, like, here's the thing, maybe not obliviousness, but like at least like will for ignorance or, or, or um, willful just suspension of what you know, right? Or willful suspension. I don't know what it is, but the point is to say that like, you know, you go out there and you're coming from divorce and there's a story behind it. And we've talked about shame. I'm not talking about shame. What I'm talking about is saying that like, um, you know, it doesn't matter. That's kind of what it is. It's just like, you know, I'm open here into the world and there's nothing here that's going to stop me in that way. I, I think it's a distinction between um, not being unaware, but about letting go of your expectations or demands from the world and being more curious. And so I don't know what this means or how this is going to go or what exactly I want or anticipate, but 
this is, I'm curious. I'm curious about why this is happening. I'm curious about why I react like this. I'm curious about why my partner is reacting like this or my ex or my children and really starting to approach things with curiosity. Oh, I like that. Give you answers yeah. to make you more aware. That's your inner Ahasuerus right there, right? Ah. It's a sense of childlike curiosity about things, right? Not knowing, right? And being kind of in wonderment about them to say like, well, why am I doing this? Yeah, I like that. Why am I reacting this way? What's going on in my life? What's, what's the opportunity now? Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. I like that. Yeah, and then you can drink to that. Drink to that. L'chaim. <laughs> to all you Ahasuerus and Esters out there. That's trying it. to live in a world of Haman's and Mordechai's. Yeah. So this perm, if you're having a tough time and struggling, just be mindful of where you're at and uh, drink responsibly. What do you think I is say. the best way? Like, do you have a philosophy? Because I practice this now with um, people that I'm coaching, right? I'm mm -hmm. practicing to become a divorce coach. So we do a lot of training sessions. I work with friends as well. Uh, so what's the best way? Certainly something that comes up is boundaries. What's the best way to set boundaries? Like it's not enough just to say, this is what I'm going to do, right? There has to be a discipline about it as well. Have you had a boundary that you've needed to establish that's been really productive for you? Oh, boundaries come in so many shapes and forms and sizes. So do you mean boundaries with yourself, with other people, with... Let's what, do what the one boundaries? with yourself. Let's do, since we're talking about Purim, we started out with drinking. Let's talk about the one with yourself especially since there's all this freedom and you could have that temptation, right? It brings up that childlike wonderment in you, the Akashverus who wants to go out there and grab everything, right? So where's the Esther with the boundaries, right? That says like, hold up a second. You're still an adult. Boundary for myself. While I think about it, do you have one example for yours? Oh shit. <laughs> Uh, geez. Um, I always go to my men's group. I always go to my men's group. That's my boundary, right? I will make sure that 7 p.m. on Tuesday nights from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. I am there. Uh, and particularly now during this pandemic, it's been a real lifesaver for me. I mean, they're just great guys. I was telling them the other day that with, um, you know, I, I think the difficulty with divorce, we've talked about it, losing friends and feeling like you lose your community in some ways that I have another one, right? I have another tribe mm -hmm. to go to. Uh, and so that's been really helpful for me. So my boundary uh, helps me to protect that time. My boundary, you know, it's, it's more of a fence in that way, right? Like I, th that's the, how the boundary is created that um, I, I, I will make sure I go to that experience in that meeting. Okay. In that regard, I, did a deep dive this summer into sleep and the importance of functional sleep because go. I thought previously that I was a superhero that could exist on two to three hours of sleep. Are you uh, serious? Not two what to three hours, doing? but three, four hours of sleep, uh, five hours I would, and I'm a morning person. So I would just get out of bed and I would go on autopilot and I thought right. I don't need sleep. And then I just started to really research and go deeper into how important sleep is. And I think it's a baseline um, wellness criteria that most people ignore and it really is like it affects mood it affects it affects everything so I my phone goes off at 9 30 every night my it's set it's actually automatic and it goes off and it's 
pretty sacrosanct. Sometimes, uh, sometimes once in a while, if there's something going on, I'll turn it off, but 9.30, bone off. It's interesting. You use that word sacrosanct. And when I was, when you were talking and, and I, I, admittedly, I was, I was paying attention to you. I wasn't thinking of something else, but you brought up this idea of, we talk about in the Mishnah, we make a siag with Torah. We make a fence around the Torah. And it, admittedly, we started that conversation or I, or I got involved in that conversation in rabbinical school and I'm still not entirely sure what it means, but, but I think it means that you protect this Torah in some way, that there are certain boundaries that you put around it. And if I'm going to internalize that, you know, you use the word sacrosanct. That, that's an important word. That means it's really holy. And so I, I wonder if that's what it's about. It's creating a fence around yourself, right? So that other things don't get in and maybe other things don't get out, but you create that fence to protect the Torah that's inside you, the wisdom or the experiences or whoever you are, the holy thing in there. And you have to treat that fence as a holy thing as well. I like that. Yeah. Thank you. The, the boundary is this protection, the self-protection of self out of self-respect. Yes. And not out of punitiveness or, or some other different approach, but rather I respect myself so much. These are the boundaries I set up to help protect that. That's exactly right. Or I love myself so much. I set these boundaries up so much so that I can continue to love myself in that way. Very I nice. <laughs> Sounds like you got a perm party already going on over there. Oh, my parents are in town. Oh, <laughs> lovely. Well, I yes. hope it's a good experience with them. Um, I think I'm going to run away. <laughs> Go for it. Well, listen, folks, if you have boundaries that uh, you need to share, right, or boundaries that you need help making, reach out to Sheva and I. We can help you with that. And uh, share your boundaries that you have that have made life after divorce really possible for you and help you flourish in really amazing and healthy ways uh, because that's the way you got to live during this time. You got to live in healthy ways because opposite of that probably just isn't going to be very good. And you can find us at www.thejewishdivorceproject.com where both of our contact information is on there as well as on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, The Jewish Divorce Project. And don't forget to reach out at, at uh, thejewishdivorceproject at gmail.com if you have any questions opinions lord knows if you're jewish you'll have at least three of them and uh send them our way we'd uh love to maybe ignore your opinion at some point <laughs> and happy purim happy purim <laughs> <Chag Sameach. laughs> uh.